Hi there, and welcome to The Brave, the podcast about the people, systems, and companies building a better future. We are kicking off series three. It's been a bit of a wait. I need to apologise. I basically got bogged down with client work. Um, I started my own business at the back end of, well, mid-2021, and I didn't really anticipate how much work it was going to be, so that is what I've been doing. I've not been ignoring you. I've been thinking about this podcast every day and how I need to revive it, but we are back and we're here, and this week I'm speaking to Katie Gibbs about AI. And I think it'll become quite clear from our discussion. It's a topic I'm very interested in, but I think my knowledge is scratching the surface on. So it was amazing to have Katie on, who can add a lot more depth and detail to things. So I hope you enjoy it. I thought our conversation was cracking, actually. I really enjoyed chatting. You can probably tell, actually. Um, And yeah, excited to be back for Series 3. We've got some pretty interesting people, actually, I'm going to be speaking to. So expect more episodes probably on a kind of two weekly monthly basis coming your way please keep subscribed please keep supporting i really appreciate it and right we'll get cracking with katie yeah i'm katie gibbs i'm a founding partner at emergence partners we are a new breed of tech consultancy so we're really trying to work with clients to deliver the thoughtful adoption of new and emerging technologies and everything we do is in a user-centric uh, approach. And that's really where my passion and expertise comes in. Um, I've got quite a unique perspective in that I've combined specializing in artificial intelligence with this user-centric approach. Um, so everything that I do is about thinking about how can we deliver an amazing experience, not just for customers, but for employees with artificial intelligence and other technologies as well. Brilliant. So I hear the words artificial intelligence and user experience used in the same sentence. And I'm a bit like, hmm. So all the reports we're hearing are that it's not being used in a very user-friendly way from, you know, the famous example of hand sanitizers not recognizing certain skin tones or facial recognition biases being very biased towards women or people from certain backgrounds. So I I guess, could you explain a little bit more about what what you mean by user-centric artificial intelligence? (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And there's a lot of failings in the AI space. I think um, probably more failings than successes. So when the, the approach that I take is you've got to expand the user base that you're considering. Um, you can't just design for yourself in mind, your particular demographic, or even kind of your own cognitive perspective as well. You've got to have diversity in the user base that you're designing for and really put yourself in their shoes, understand what does a typical experience look like and can you actually enhance it with AI? If the answer is no, that's the time to stop and it's where most organizations don't. Um, But if it's yes, then don't just run ahead with it and deploy AI, really take the time to engage your customers, engage your employees, explain to them how it's being used so that you don't get this resistance and fear mongering around AI. I mean, AI is an incredibly powerful tool, but we're at the point where it can't do a huge amount unless you've got really great employees sitting behind it. Um, And I think that's so often overlooked. It, It becomes this really damaging rhetoric around replacing people with AI and automation. And we're not at that point. We've seen so many organizations just completely cull their headcounts in order to deliver technology to justify the business case. 
And then the technology doesn't do what they hope it will do. And they've lost all that knowledge and expertise within the organization. And on top of that, they've created this really toxic culture where employees quite rightly think every time a new technology is going to come in, their job's at risk. Um, so the approach that we take at Emergence and something that's a real personal mission of mine is net zero unemployment. Uh, so we have a net zero unemployment manifesto, which is really trying to challenge that rhetoric. And I know a lot of people say that they think that AI has to be combined with um, employees in order to get optimal value, but that's something that we really stand by. We don't go straight to cost reduction, headcount reduction. We really think about how do you engage employees? How can we upskill them? How can they be future-proofed in their careers so that they can continue to add value to the organization in the longer term with these new technologies rather than being made redundant? Yeah, because I think that it, within organizations, there's also kind of an inflated view of what AI actually is. I mean, what, what we're talking about AI here, I would personally argue is not true artificial intelligence. You know, um, no one's passed the Turing test yet type thing. But and, and organizations then kind of hear these buzzwords and like, oh, yeah, we could we could get it to do all of this kind of like manual stuff we've got going in, this, in our organization, like, you know, form filling or, you know, database like um, it's a lot of like database reconciliation. I've seen it in the past. But actually what, what those tasks involve is someone kind of making a bit of a heuristic assessment of like, you know, okay, should this go into column B type thing? It should it go into B. Yeah. Well, actually, like based on like, all the other information I can see on this other like database over here or form over here, probably not. I'm going to make a human judgment that that's not going to go into that. Obviously, AI can't do that yet and maybe never can do that. I mean, it's, it's raw computer at the moment is my understanding of it. I'm not an expert by any means. I, I wanted to ask, because you've talked a bit about having kind of inclusive user groups involved in like co-designing, I guess, in the process, but obviously the people creating the technology themselves, we, we all know the stereotypes of the types of people who work in the tech industry is um, a certain demographic. Do you think that has any kind of bearing or is that a consideration? Absolutely. Um, and it's so difficult because the people who are designing these AI technologies, you know, they tend to be developers, AI sci um, data scientists, and that comes with a particular demographic. But the thing that really frustrates me is we seem to have focused on only technical people developing and delivering AI solutions. I'm not technical. I've got a degree in French and English. I'm not quite sure how I fell into the AI space, but I still have a lot of value to add when it comes to designing AI solutions coming from that user-centric perspective. And it really frustrates me that there's this kind of evangelical um, approach when it comes to AI, where I quite often get completely um, opposed in discussions with technical people because they think I can't contribute towards the conversation because I'm not a coder. And it's like, well, actually, if you want to design truly inclusive AI solutions, we need to get more UX designers, business analysts, people from a broader range of, you know, for want of a better word, softer skills, but is more likely to expand the demographic, but also change the perspectives when you're designing something. So you would think about you know, if you've got this hand sanitizer that only works on particular skin tones, someone would think about that up front and would then help prevent that from becoming a bit of a scandal when it does get released. Yeah, because well, we know 
we know historically and we know from our own society you know a lot of biases are kind of entrenched in the systems that govern our world you know as as someone who presents as a woman you know that's that's been very true throughout my life it's it's stuff like steps the the space of spacing of steps is for male heights which is very strange when you think about it like toilet design toilet the toilets are designed for men because no woman would design those cubicles like that yeah. <laughs> seat belts seat belts are designed for men so that there's a much higher fatality rate with women in car crashes yeah it's it's it boggles my mind <laughs> and i just worry we're almost about to kind of flip into this trap of, of these these biases being entrenched especially in the data sets because obviously i mean i'm talking maybe a bit more about machine learning and maybe this is my own kind of unknowledge about the space but you know things like gpt3 which is obviously um natural language processing i guess or generating and that's based on a huge data set that's basically pulled from the internet and they found like it fundamentally is a little bit racist <laughs> Yeah. So, so like, is that any consideration you have in your work? Is like, what, what, what are we building upon? Like, what's the foundation here? Yeah, absolutely. I think until you've really examined the database, and and it's not just doing that upfront. I think a lot of um, people make the mistake of thinking that's a one-off activity. You've got con to continue to monitor it because actually, this is a real benefit of AI. Um, it can expose some of those biases that we're not aware of because. At the end of the day, the databases that we've built over the last couple of decades is based on male patriarchy. It's it's you know if you look at um, when it was the Apple credit card that was hitting headlines because it was um, biased towards men, it kind of gave them much better credit scores, even if they were you, you applied as a married couple, the husband would get a much better um, credit rating than the woman. And everyone was up in arms about it, going, the AI is biased, the AI is biased. But actually, when you think about it, every bit of data we've got on what makes someone a credit worthy customer tends to be leaning towards men because they've been getting credit for so much longer than women. We weren't able to you know, get credit um, until many years later. So I think it can be. I get quite annoyed sometimes. It feels like AI is just a bit of an easy scapegoat, whereas it should be used as a way of exposing our own biases and actually challenging the way that we're thinking so that we can adapt and be more um, inclusive in the way that we develop our solutions. Yeah, because I guess like all we're doing it for is the output. And we are still, you know, it's not like the AI has ultimate decision making. I mean, you know what, would I embrace the, the AI, you know, fully automated government at the moment? Maybe, <laughs> but could it do worse? Um, there but... was a really great campaign. I think it was, um, I thought it was when um, Obama was running for second term, but there was a push for IBM Watson for president. <laughs> the case was that um, an AI system would make decisions based on what was in the best interest of the entire population rather than a particular demographic. Um, I mean, maybe if it'd be running against Trump, we might have been a bit more successful and actually seen what that looks like. But yeah, it's well, what a world that would have been. But I think, yeah, it's it's we can still challenge the output. You know, it's not making these ultimate decisions for us. And also, I think the main benefit, as I understand it, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is that at the moment is speed to businesses. It's decision making at speed. It's not they're not necessarily using it. Well, you know, in the medical space, I suppose they are for like, you know, diagnostic, but they're not using it to validate the best decision, if that makes sense. Would you agree with that? Or is that completely yeah. wrong? 
No, I definitely agree. And I think that's a, a lot of people trying to counter this fear mongering in that way of saying AI is just making suggestions, is essentially analyzing huge amounts of data that the medical professional doesn't have the time or headspace to be able to do. It's presenting what it thinks is the best outcome, but it's still up to a human to decide whether they're going to take that advice on. This, you, know, you still can rely on your own instinct and experience to say, actually, no. And that's brilliant because if you're challenging it we can retrain the AI and it's just going to get better and better over time I personally don't think we're anytime soon going to get to the point where we're going to be asking machines to just automatically making those decisions for us and carry them out yeah because I guess that's the whole kind of driverless cars debate a little bit as well you know the whole like trolley problem I guess like does it kill the grandma or does it kill the like woman carrying a baby crossing the road type thing and you know, I think fundamentally it was like, can can machines make those decisions? You know, is there a parameter for morality or ethics? I don't know. So, yeah. We don't have that parameter for us. You know, we don't yeah. know what the answer is to the trolley problem. We, yeah, we expect AI to have the answer. So we hold it to a much higher standard, which if it was running the country is completely understandable and warranted. But because considering it's being used to inform decisions and inform outcomes, I think we should be giving a bit more leniency and you know applying our own expertise to it rather than expecting it to get everything right 100% of the time. You know what that's such a good point I have literally never thought about that yeah like we we literally haven't solved some of these problems or like there is no right solution you know within our like ethical universe we inhabit at the moment so yeah abstracting it to a machine what do we expect almost? Yeah and it's it's mad that we expect machines to be so much better than us, but at the end of the day, we're encoding these machines. Yeah, it can, it can only go so far. Yeah, definitely. Because what I, I also wanted to kind of touch on, because there's a lot of kind of regulation happening or about to happen in this space. And I guess, do you see that as kind of a positive force? Is that very much aligned with what you're trying to do in your work? Or is that kind of running a counter stream? Because obviously, you know, like I'm, I'm not anti-regulation. I'm not, you know, uh, anything like that but obviously when you when you enforce certain rules like that it does create certain standards so and do you see that everything kind of working together or, it, or is it has it got another agenda is basically what I'm trying to ask in a long-winded way yeah good question um I guess on the whole I'm definitely in favor I think there needs to be some regulations in place and a kind of a standardized code of conduct about how we're going to approach AI um, my concern is I think it's too little too late um, with the way that Facebook are using AI, um, you know, even I'm quite surprised it hasn't been in the news more. Um, Twitter, it's been found that Twitter, uh, Twitter's AI algorithm has been amplifying right wing news considerably. And there should be uproar about that. People should be really concerned because that's going to have an impact on what happens in elections and people's political views, because it's just exacerbating the echo chamber that people could be within. Yet nobody seems to bother, and, and Facebook and Twitter aren't going to change their ways of working unless they're forced to. I mean, they're, they're going to tribunals and nothing's happening. So I, I think it's a really good effort. And I think that you know, large enterprises are, of course, going to try and adopt an ethical standard of AI. But that only goes so far because, you know, it's different if it's a chatbot that's recommending what mortgage you should have rather than your, your social media 
world recommending harmful content or you know whatever else it might do so it's it's a difficult it's a really difficult yeah. one and i think it's been discussed for so long that it becomes more of an academic debate rather than actually some practical actions that organizations can take yeah and it kind of I, I think again it's like the whole trolley problem thing we were talking about it's kind of a question i think we will never have an ultimate answer to like what what you know it's never going to be a clearly cut defined solution like okay we've all agreed this solution everyone's happy with it move on and it really reminds me um of you know like the introduction of the printing press and mass media that came out during that time and everyone was like people can just print what they want and disseminate it and like the yeah. radical the scandalous like pamphlets were the ones that got reprinted and like you know then pornography became a bit of a thing and everyone was like oh my god like we need to regulate this and it was the same debate in some ways because it was you know the method of communication was like perpetuating certain things within society that weren't necessarily as good for everyone you know what i mean and then you had like press regulation and, and well suppression more than anything else but that wasn't the answer either because people got around it and I, I know that's different because that's not like an ai algorithm but if we accept the algorithm is built on our own biases then we're just accelerating those types of trajectories if that makes sense and i think at the end of the day and this isn't limited to technology as you've just said but when there's these new developments in society it can bring out the worst side of society so i was reading um earlier this week so there's been a lot of news about deep fakes and being able to impersonate people the new absolute low that that's gone to is that um people can use deep fake technology to undress any woman so they essentially superimpose a naked body onto someone's face and they can circulate that as revenge porn and there's no way of someone being able to dispute that and it's so and it's what angers me is it's so targeted towards women yeah it, every there's so many awful instances of technology being used to further suppress women and demean us and make us feel more exposed and vulnerable as if it's not hard enough you know being a woman in the world today that's not been designed for us as we've discussed yeah, that I I read a bit about that as well, and like and part I think part this is where it becomes dangerous because part of me was a bit like I always joked with a friend, and it was a very glib joke of like oh lol if that body's better looking than my body you know win win type thing, and like that obviously like that is me making a joke about it. I don't fundamentally believe that, but you know when something becomes so insidious within society, and the fact my reaction was like oh, of course that's happened, like you know like move on to the next thing. Yeah, you know. someone's taken this as an opportunity to say yeah. make women, of course. Yeah, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's almost like we've got to solve these underlying structural problems before we can actually do anything about the tech. The tech isn't the problem, is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, is technology being used for the wrong reasons? And I mean, I, I really believe that AI is going to be the way that we cure cancer. You know, the way it's being used to... For speed up and accelerate um, drug discovery is incredible and it's going to do some amazing things but there are these little pockets of society it's just doing some of the worst things imaginable and no matter how much you regulate it it's that's not going to change because people are always going to find a way of accessing that technology on the dark web and mm. unsavory things with it 
Yeah, I, just to shift the conversation slightly, because I'm really keen to understand kind of in, in your work and, and some of the trends you're seeing in businesses, what type of business problems is AI being applied to at the moment? Yeah, I think um, I'm seeing a lot. So, yeah, we talked earlier around um, actually a lot of the work being done is what we would deem automation. It's not really AI, you know, around triaging inbound queries. Um, and I think most organizations are just starting to move into the AI space where they take the next step into intelligent automation. So, for example, if, um, organizations that have got call centers are using AI to essentially triage. So say you phoned up to, I don't know, talk about a fraudulent claim on your credit card. They would try and match you to someone with a similar personality type. So that if you want to be a proper, want to have a proper chat and kind of, you know, well, actually I went on a night out and I, you know, this, this, this happened. And therefore I, you know, someone must have taken my bank card and now I've got fraudulent transactions or the other end of the spectrum where you're like, I just need to get this over and done with as quickly as possible. Um, you can match people based on their personality types in order to give them the optimal customer experience, which actually gives the employee the best employee experience as well, because they're speaking to someone that's on their wavelength. You know, they want to have a good old natter away, then that's the great way to do it. Um, and I've seen some companies take that further where it's really added value is when they've tried to apply it to vulnerable customers. So they're using predictive analytics to so this particular financial services in order to predict when vulnerable customers are most at risk of fraudulent activity and they will reach out to them to educate them on measures they need to take they'll give them a particular person who's kind of guide them throughout and that's why i think ai can be really great is it's just a mechanism it's just something to flag up there's potentially going to be a problem here and that gives you the information you need to go and look after your customer and give them a really great experience rather than letting it happen and gra like just grasping to try and get control of the situation again. Um, so we're seeing quite a bit in that space in, around um, intelligent decision making. I mean, there's quite a few technologies out there, I would say, isn't really using AI to do that. Um, it's essentially kind of a probability <laughs> mechanism. Okay, yeah. Well, if this is the input, this is probably going to be the output. Um, but it's definitely getting smarter. I mean, the bits that really fascinate me is the use of voice assistants, um, particularly in care homes and healthcare settings. So thinking about, you know, particularly with everything that's happened in the last 18 months, um, people in care homes have been more isolated than ever. There's been a real issue of loneliness. There's been limited staff um, due to people having to isolate and everything else. And it's caused a real issue within the care homes. So we've been exploring, is there a way you can use voice assistance in order to provide that company um, and essentially keep a diary of how someone's feeling so that the healthcare staff can best prioritize who they need to go and see. You know, they could automatically send a reminder out to family members to say, oh, you know, grandma's feeling a bit, a bit down today, give her a call and remind her, you know, talk to her about this and this. Um, so I think there's some really, some really great ways of using AI with clients in order to build that human connection. And that's really what I'm all about. I, I think that AI could be a really great mechanism for building stronger relationships, be that within families, care homes, um, or with customers from a, within a call center setting. Yeah, and those are all like really positive applications because I think 
another underlying trend in our society. <laughs> we seem to be going back to like the structural things, but is this kind of um, removal of people from social situations or this like distancing due to technology. Obviously, the pandemic had a role to play in that as well. But I was reading an article in The Guardian this morning about South Korea. I don't know if you saw that one. And it was basically about they they almost now have a culture and almost a kind of top down policy of introducing AI automation technology to remo like remove the need for people to kind of be with other people and this is very pandemic driven but you know it's going to fundamentally change their society I think is, is the thinking around this and that actually could be quite damaging so it's kind of under understanding like yes these technologies can kind of bring people closer together in a sense and it sounds like those solutions were designed with that kind of principle in mind but actually there, there's this really harmful side to this as well which could be a huge problem if implemented incorrectly. Yeah, actually, one of the things that has seen a massive rise during the pandemic is employee monitoring software. Um, and Barclays have gone in quite a lot of trouble for it um, because essentially they were monitoring how much time people were spending at their desks and flagging up when they were spending too much time on their breaks or not being active on their laptop. And I mean, I, I shudder whenever I talk about it because it's the complete opposite of the work that we're trying to do when it comes to employee experience. But to think that when there's a global pandemic going on, people at risk of burnout, as well as you know health risks, um, the impact having on people's mental health, to then add that extra stress of saying, but you can't take more than five minutes to have a cup of tea. <laughs> it just blows my mind that people think that that would be a good idea, but it comes from this distrust that executives have, but they they believe that if they can't know exactly how their employees are spending every single minute of the day, then they aren't doing their work. Yeah, and I, I also wonder if that's a bit of where this push towards automation and AI is coming from, because it's like it's the worker that can work 24-7, you know, that you can always monitor. It's and like this is a policy, but like it's completely transparent and visible. And it's a bit of this kind of corporate ideal of a worker in a way. Yeah. And it's, I'm a firm believer that people shouldn't have to work kind of set nine hour shifts. Um, you know, everyone's got different peaks when they're productive. And I think technology like that could be, we use what we call um, process mining tools in order to understand the process people are undertaking to pinpoint where there's friction points, where there's opportunities to improve it, but also actually to understand how people work best. So we take a completely different approach. So rather than using it to monitor people, we're going, well, actually, that person works best if they only work six hours a day. And it tends to be kind of late afternoon and evening is when they do their best work. So give them the freedom to do that. Um, and actually, if you take that approach, you can also pinpoint when someone's at risk of burnout and you can provide that support because burnout is having a real financial implication on organizations. I mean, if you take away the human element, they, nobody wants to be burnt out, but it's actually hitting the bottom line when it comes to company finances. So you, you want to be removing as much stress as possible and providing as much support. Um, so I think there's definitely there's the right way of using these technologies and it is not about sending alerts when people are you know, not spending enough time on their laptop I think that's completely counterintuitive yeah like and can you can you imagine I think like we'll see a lot of like um I think off the back of a lot of this in a weird way we'll see a lot of more unionization of of workers because you know like the and especially with like the gig economy as well it's funny because like there's so many 
interesting like trends and like changes in society at the moment and you can almost like in your head see how they're going to coalesce into like okay like is this a dystopian future we're moving towards where everyone is mon you know like you, well, we all know parcel employees are monitored in that really kind of intrusive way and then they're only paid for the time worked and that's like the combination of those two things is extremely toxic so yeah it's it's really interesting what i love about this podcast is like talking to people about this is actually we get into like the meat of like why is this happening and fundamentally like what does this mean for us moving forward and how do we kind of counteract the bad effects of it so i guess kind of um wrapping up a little bit because i'm just conscious of time and we're both uh we're both chatting before we started recording that we're, we're in the Christmas period at the moment and we're trying to fit two weeks worth of work, no, four weeks worth of work into two, I can't even say it right. But I guess, do you have any advice for organisations who are maybe embarking on this journey? You know, maybe they've identified a need or they've identified a problem within their organisation, they think automation AI can help. Where, where do they start? Um, I think actually the answer is inherent in your question is a pinpoint what that problem or opportunity is first. Don't jump on the AI bandwagon because you think you need to in order to be seen as innovative or you think it's going to future-proof your organisation. Really take the time to understand, is there an opportunity here? If so, you know, how's it going to contribute towards the overall strategy of the business? If it's not going to accelerate towards it in some way or contribute, then it's not the right tool. Um, and then if you kind of pass those checkpoints, the key thing is to spend the time up front defining your engagement strategy for your employees. Explain to them what AI is in the business context. You know, it's not about having cameras on them 24-7 using facial recognition. All these buzzwords they hear in the media that prompt a lot of fear and resistance, understandably so. Um, you know, talk about how it's going to be used, how preferably use it to augment your employees. We're not in a position where you can lay off your entire staff and replace them with robots. So please do not go down that route. You're just going to have to rehire everyone. Um, and take the time to talk to them, understand what their pain points are, where there's friction in and bottlenecks in the work they're doing day to day, because you might be able to solve some of those with automation AI. And that's a really quick win to show people your your intentions with this technology that it is going to be used to make their day-to-day -day working lives better rather than you know putting their jobs at risk so yeah start with really clear uh, understanding of where the problem is um align it to your company strategy and really take the time to engage your employees up front because if they aren't engaged i've seen organizations completely waste investment in ai because their employees have resisted it and refuse to use it so it there is a financial um requirement to get them on board as well and do you think making a pledge like a net zero kind of jobs loss pledge actually is a powerful tool yeah yeah it's something that we work really closely with organizations i think each organization will have their own slant on it on how they use it and it might expand out across multiple technologies not just ai but set a really bold manifesto around how you're going to use new and emerging technologies you know is it going to be used to augment employees to enhance them to deliver outstanding customer experiences you know really bring those things to the fore rather than focusing on how exciting it is you're using this new technology because employees and customers don't really care how you're getting there they just care that it's having a positive impact on them so i really spend less time talking about 
AI and how awesome it is and spend a lot more time kind of demystifying it and breaking it down so people can get on board with it. Brilliant. I think that's excellent advice. And what's great about it is it's so much about like inclusive design from for all software. It's nothing new. It's just like make sure you're applying these principles to every big kind of transformation digital project you're putting together. So if people wanted to find out a bit more about you and your work, get in contact, where could they go? Um, so our website is www.emergencehq.com. Um, my email address is katie at emergencehq.com. Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. I regularly speak at events if they want to hear more about kind of inclusive design, women in AI and um, user-centric design of AI. So yeah, I'd be happy to connect with people and share more. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on. Really enjoyed that. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. As you can tell, I had an amazing time. Uh, Katie was an excellent guest, a lot of kind of bouncing off each other, which is always good. So um, as I said, this is series three. We're kind of cracking on ahead, exploring different themes. So, I mean, stay subscribed, but also I'd love to kind of put it out there. If you are interested in coming on an episode and kind of speaking about, you know, what you're working on, how you're kind of making a difference in the world for the better, I love to hear from you. You can contact me on bethan at bethanvincent.com. You can find me online, all of that fun stuff. And also just another final little reminder, we do have a newsletter. It goes out on a monthly basis. It's thebravest.substack.com. Um, I think you can find us by just typing in the brave substack on google and that's a very similar kind of exploration of similar themes to the podcast just in written content and also i do invite kind of readers of that to share their news as well so until next time thank you so much for listening i really appreciate it see you soon